searching for Canada's best startups. The Pitch Please Podcast. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Give us your best pitch. Pitch please. Three, two, one. Connecting with Canada's startups to learn about their business and the amazing people behind them. Follow along and hear some of the most interesting ideas in startups from across Canada. What's up, everybody? It's Mike. We're back here on the Pitch Please podcast. Today, we're talking to Vessel. We've got Sydney and Alexi here. Vessel is an automatically adjusting prosthetic for people that are amputees. I'm not even going to try to describe it. We're going to let them do the pitch. I'm not the pitch master here. But welcome to the show, Sydney, Alexi. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about what each of you do at Vessel and then let's learn a little bit about each other. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having us. I'm Sydney. And I'm Alexi. And uh, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Vessel. And so my role is really anything business related. So I'm really in charge of the fundraising side of things, engaging with our customers and our end users, just trying get as much feedback as possible about the business um, and our product as well. So that's really my focus. And I'm COO and I'm in charge of operations, engineering of the product, and just uh, getting all of those details lined up so that we can bring that product to market as soon as possible. All right. Business and engineering. I love it. Tell us a little bit about your background, because obviously when we talk about this product, it's very specific. So at some point, I'm going to want to know how we got here, but maybe tell us a little bit about your background and, and life before before what got you here at Vessel. Yeah, sounds great. Do you want to lead? Absolutely. It's really funny. The roles that we have now yeah. <laughs> are actually the flipped roles of based on our education. So I'm a clinical anatomist by training. So I did medical sciences at the University of Guelph, and then I came to Western to do my master's and then my PhD in the Department of Anatomy and Cell Biology. It wasn't super related to what we're doing now, but it created the foundations for what we're doing now. So my master's was in clinical anatomy. So I learned all of that functional anatomy basics that really helps us uh, understand the core problem really well. And then I did my PhD in simulation-based training in neuroradiology. And so it was a little bit removed. The way that I got to where we are now and how I'm at Sydney is that I was always very interested in entrepreneurship, very interested in business. There were some opportunities at Western for me to take some business courses through the Ivy School of Business. And then eventually that led me to do an innovate, a medical innovation fellowship at Western University where Sydney and I had met. So I'll let Sydney a chance to talk about her background as well, up to the point where we met at the fellowship. Sounds great. So yeah, as Alexi said, funny, my background is in engineering. And uh, so I was, I did my undergrad in mechanical engineering at Queen's University and quickly learned that engines did not turn my crank. I didn't find them very interesting at all. So I specialized in biomechanics instead. I've always found the human body fascinating. And the reason that prosthetics is so interesting to me is because it's augmenting how the human body moves, which we have not been able to crack that code yet. But I think that the work that's being done in prosthetics and related fields is starting to get really close. So that was, I was always interested in prosthetics. I continued on and did my master's in biomed biomedical engineering at Western and then decided to join the fellowship. Same as Alexi was interested in entrepreneurship. Didn't actually know if it was going to be for me, but once we started working on this problem, it, I just couldn't get enough. It's a fantastic a very worthwhile cause to work on and a fantastic team that I have. So I'm very blessed to be here and very excited. 
I love those learning journeys and I feel suddenly very not smart with both of you on the call. <laughs> I was like, okay, I think I'm catching every third word and understanding sort of what those roles do. So <laughs> what I do want to talk about though, because those are a very different paths, but both of you mentioned something, which is like at some point you've sort of always known you might want to do something entrepreneurial. And I'm always like genuinely curious what stoked that or what sparked that and when that started? Did it start when you were in university, sometimes sooner? When was that decision when you're like, yeah, you know what? I think I actually want to be an entrepreneur. I think I want to solve these problems because it is not for everybody. So I was curious what was like the moment uh, or, or person or thing that inspired each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think that for me, I was a born, someone was saying the other day, or you're either a born entrepreneur or you're a reluctant entrepreneur, which I thought were funny buckets. But I would consider myself a born entrepreneur or more so a born leader. I've just always really enjoyed working with people. I've really enjoyed any leadership role that I've been a part of. I did teach swimming lessons when I was younger and had my own little swimming business. So when I was 18, I didn't have my own pool in my own backyard, but I would bike to other people's houses who did have a pool and I would teach their children swimming lessons. So it, it's always been something I've been interested in and I wanted to give it a fair shot. So that was why I joined the fellowship. And I wasn't married to the idea of starting a company. It was something that I thought I should just let happen organically. But when you find a problem that you really want to solve, not necessarily a solution that you're married to, but a problem that you think is really worthwhile, that was all it took for me to, to know I wanted to keep doing it. And I thought that we could lead the way. And growing up for me, I was always the guy that had a ton of different hobbies and I, I loved to take things apart and understanding how things worked. So when I was really young, this is like forever ago. I started with building PCs. So I was building my computers and I was really into tech, taking VCRs apart. And I've always just like wanted to tinker and learn all the time. So I picked up hobbies and started brewing beer and doing all these things. And it started roasting coffee and making my own coffee roasters. And then got interested in now they're really popular, like electric scooters and things like that. So I built an electric skateboard and started soldering in my living room to make the battery packs for them that were high amperage. So I was just always doing stuff to try to innovate, but my biggest roadblock was that I was doing this on a very unsustainable hobby level where I was just stoking my curiosity and engaging in the directions that my mind was going. And it wasn't until I started taking some of these business courses in the upper years of my PhD and then going into the fellowship and meeting people like Sydney, where I realized how absolutely fundamental it is to creating a sustainable business to have that counterpart in, in foundations of the business who can bring some of those other skills. So a person like Sydney who can bring in the network, can then bring in the people with the right skills. So it no longer feels like a solo project where I feel like I have to learn everything and do everything only myself, which was the roadblock for me to create things that would really sprout and scale. And I always felt like my life was going in that direction, even though I was doing things that were polar opposite on paper, which are kind of academia, but the burning fire was always there. So I'm really glad that I made the decisions that kind of lined me up with a person like Sydney, who is really just like a really great partner to be on this journey with. That's cool. Let's talk about that a bit, maybe. What, where and how did you both meet uh, and let, you know, let's hold a little bit of secret around that, the pitch and what Vessel does. But if you could talk a little bit about 
how you both met, what sort of started you down this journey of maybe starting to, to work on solving a problem together. Clearly, you both have skills and background and wanting to work on building things, innovating things, leading people. But where and how did you meet and what sort of started the the relationship and journey towards building out Vessel? Yeah, that's an easy one. We met in the Medical Innovation Fellowship at Western University. And day one of the boot camp before it really begins, I think within the first 30 minutes, Alexi and I knew that we really enjoyed working together. We just, our personalities clicked. And then throughout the 10 and a half months of the fellowship, our skill sets just clicked. Like anything that I was really good at or really enjoyed doing wasn't necessarily Alexi's priority and vice versa. Like that, Mm. the creative, big thinking, as Alexi said, take it apart, put it back together very classic engineering skills were not, it's just not what I find as rewarding as talking to people and engaging and asking for feedback. So we just had this natural skill set division, which, mm-hmm. which I think was really helpful. And if I can add our, I said our personalities meshed really well. And I think both of us are really focused on bettering ourselves as people. And that is a foundation as co-founders that I you can't orchestrate. That is so foundational, so core to the way that we approach problems and how big discussions, because lo and behold, in a, when you're starting a company and everything's new, you do have some hard decisions you have to make. And I think that we've done a really good job of keeping that communication open. So I went on a bit of a tangent there, but that's, that's how we met well, and then why we enjoy working together. Absolutely. And it's I think part of that is... We developed a lot of skill sets prior to mm-hmm. meeting each other that became the foundations of how we communicate with each other. And a big part of that is vulnerability and trust with each other. And so we are very open about our shortcomings with each other. And that's where the support really comes in, where we can fill in the gaps. So that's just to address that tangential, but it's, yeah, it's been kind of like right off the bat. And to tell my side of the story about when we met, we had this big group interview to get into the Medical Innovation Fellowship. And after the big group interview, uh, we had to do these little projects in these subgroups to really make sure that the people that they're going to choose to get into this fellowship really mesh together really well, because it's such a big part um, being able to work in this sometimes very big space, right? Where a lot of issues come up and you don't have a direction where you need to go. And so out of that group interview, even though I wasn't paired up with Sydney, during those subgrouping stages when we were applying, when she was presenting her group's findings, I was like, I like the way that that person thinks. So she was actually my recommend, one of my recommendations when they did a questionnaire at the end where I said, I think that person should get in because they clearly have the right characteristics of, a, of an entrepreneur. And so what's really unique about the way that we got to the point where we created Vessel is that in this fellowship, you essentially get grouped together with scientists, engineers, and, and clinicians. Those are trio, and it's typically about six people that get, they get hired for almost a full year. You get thrown around in different clinical scenarios. You just essentially observe clinical scenarios for about two months, advertising the program a little bit here. <laughs> and then you start narrowing them down. You collect these clinical needs. We collected just over 200 clinical needs from all of these observerships, and we've looked at... So just... What, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Just one quick. So all the needs are like, these are all just like problem yes. statements. People are just throwing like anything that's a problem yeah. up until eventually you start to refine which one might stick and which one your yes. team, I guess, would like to do. Yeah. Okay. okay. Sorry, and so we went continue. through the structured sure process where we were going through all these needs and looking at what does the team, 
really passionate about? What do we have the background to try to solve? Things that are not too, sometimes you would have clinical needs like, oh, there needs to be better EMRs in different clinics. Good luck trying to solve that. That's a huge problem. We don't need any more yeah. EMRs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we went through this process. And so we were, we were looking at things like, like ENT surgeries. We were looking at a bunch of different ortho surgeries, spinal realignment devices. Some of them we actually tried iterating on and then they built over. We realized that the market wasn't there. So it was very much coming in it from the opposite way that a typical entrepreneur would, where they're already sort of embedded in the clinical space that they're in. They're very passionate about the problem because it affects them personally and they're iterating already within that space. Versus for us, we came at it from a purely scientific point of view first, narrowing down. And then when it came down to the last about top 10, this prosthetics problem was just at the forefront. I just could not believe that this problem existed. Every person we talked to, I was just like, I cannot believe you have to suffer through this. There needs to be a solution. And I can clearly see where the, where the other companies failed, why they weren't able to succeed. And so this was such a clarity point where the program starts in August and around March, Sydney and I were like, yeah, we got to pursue this. We were already working on it for a couple of months. And other problems have died down. And we knew at that point, this is something worth solving and worth dedicating time on and risking income, risking, you know, all these other things that we could be doing to try to make this a reality. And I'm really glad that we made it do that. that. That's actually a great point. I love the backstory and obviously a very unique one, right? Because generally founders are like, hey, I'm like a serial entrepreneur. I like try different things, knowing I want to be an entrepreneur, and then I eventually just solve problems until they stick. Or it's this frustrated me so much. I never thought I'd be an entrepreneur, but it literally frustrated me so much. And then I couldn't take it anymore and started. And in your scenario, you were like, hey, we're, we like solving problems. We're in a program that gives us a ton of problems. And then we start solving against those problems. And then, oh, wow, this one how could this not have been solved yet? I need to solve this. So it's like this weird in between. Can when I jump on that, Mike? Because it is yeah, really yeah. interesting. Like I think it's both an advantage and a disadvantage in a way because we neither of us are amputees. So we don't know the lived experience of amputees and we can't speak to them. But we do have this outsider perspective so we can come up with these creative ways of solving the problem and then we just make sure we surround ourselves with amputees and prosthetists who can give us their insights. Yeah, I actually love that you dove in on that because I think that's the piece that's interesting, right? You're solving a problem that you inherently aren't the end user of. There's a couple other things I want to dial back on after, but maybe on this one, just how have you, without revealing everything about Vessel, like how have you gotten around that challenge or how have you found breaking through on that? Because I'm sure there's other people that see problems or challenges that they wish to solve, but they're not intimately familiar with the problem. And I'll give you another example. And then I'd love to hear sure. your story around this. But Shub, he was from a company called Celeste and it, it's a device that helps those who are visually impaired. And he's not visually impaired. He had some lessons in how he's been going about solving that problem. Some people that he knows, his approach to feedback loops so I'd love to kind of hear your lived experience and how you're augmenting something that's not a, a specific problem for you, 
but how you're making it the best possible thing by bringing people in in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I think that the fellowship was a good starting point for us because, and even the design cycle in general, the quote I always like to use that I think is overdone is, I'm going to spend 90% of my time on the problem and 10% of my time on the solution. And so we really did just that. We just started asking questions. Like, as you said, we're not amputees. We don't know. So let's find people who do. So we just started reaching out to amputees and prosthetists and saying, what does a day in the life look like? And how did you get here? And what happened? And what are the challenges you're facing? What are the things that bring you joy? And you can get a lot of flavor and picture from that. And then you can learn how many other people are involved. So there are physiatrists who are involved in healthcare and there's researchers who we needed to ask questions to. So you learn how many different people there are who you need to be talking to. And that was really, we spent a lot of time on And that. surgeons that do the applications yeah. that lose communication with care years down the road. And so they, there's a separation there that we never knew existed. So understanding the foundation is really important. Yeah. That's cool. And do you have people that are part of like a, a user feedback group that are like a little bit closer to you and the team now to provide quicker feedback loops? Is that like a piece of how you guys are building this out? We've got a few amputees who are, I want to say close connections, I think is the mm -hmm. right word. And we've got a few prosthetists who are close connections um, and then some researchers as well and some maybe serial entrepreneurs is what you'd say, but specifically mm -hmm. in the prosthetic space. And so what we're trying to do is we have all these people who we've been chatting with and talking to, and now kind of what you're alluding to, we want to formalize like a clinical advisory board. So the prosthetists who can give us feedback and then like a user advisory board and APTs who can give us feedback and have a little bit more of a structured relationship that way. But being a, a company that's only been around for a year, that's something that we're building up. That's super cool. And so before, I think, uh, Alexi, I think you mentioned this, which was making or taking the leap against some risks. There's financial risk, time risk. What? There had to be something, right? Like you were obviously compelled by this problem and you were working on it, but that doesn't mean you have to throw the, all the risks aside and be like, this is the one I'm going to solve. There is usually a moment, a defining moment. What was that like defining moment for each of you? Or maybe it was the same defining moment that you were like, okay, we're doing this and we need to keep going and solve this. Well, Sydney and I are... Or you, or you haven't stumbled upon it yet. <laughs> Sydney and I are at slightly different life stages. And so our decision-making is a little bit different when it was like right at the very beginning. So I, I'm a little bit older. I'm 33. I Simply have, ancient. Just ancient, <laughs> but... Well, you don't want to tell you my age then. So, I'm and, teasing, um, you know, I have roots here and settled down now here in London, Ontario. I have a wife, I have two young kids. And so, you know, I've got a mortgage. It's just like all these things that are like really important things to consider. And when I was really mulling this over, my wife, Jenna, she was like giving me the permission, right? Because I, these are discussions that I have to have with her. And she's like, you're seeing it like you, you're seeing the vision. You got to jump ahead and try this. Like I've got your back. And that is so important that, um, my family's is willing to go on that risky journey with me because they see the purpose and they see the effect that it will have. And as a result, actually, this is super crazy, but she has started her own business as well. She's a dietitian by training and she started her own private practice 
intuition nutrition that's been blowing up here in London as well. And so that has kind of inspired her as well. But just taking that leap is really foundational in having the right support and the right network around you. So my family support me having Sydney. I mean, like I tell her probably on a weekly basis, I'm like, you hadn't jumped on board, like this company would be dead in the water in a month because I need Sydney skills. We need to balance each other out in that way. And so those were the, those were the key factors that really helped me. Yeah. It is weighing in the direction of taking the risk and, and making yeah, it was a little different for me, exactly as you're saying, living with my parents and and was like, well, I might as well try it. No, I, I thought about it more than that. But my I had a discussion with my mom, who I look up to quite a bit, and a close friend of mine, who I also look up to quite a bit. And they said, what's the worst that can happen? Like, you might as well give it a shot. And, and this could really be something you're really passionate about it. And if you were going to start the company with anyone, it would have been with Alexi. So the kind of the push for me from the universe, if you will, was that Alexi was the one who wanted to start it. I was like, well, if it's he who wants to start it, then I might as well give it a shot. And in terms of that moment, I would say there's certainly been a few, but we had one conversation. And again, without getting too much into what we do yet, we had one conversation with an APT and the number of times he had to attempt to solve the problem that we want to solve wrote one given day was astronomical. And I just couldn't imagine having to do that myself and how frustrating that would be. And that would have been my only answer. But yesterday I had a conversation with a gentleman who's in investing, had been for many years, and then he had to get a double amputation. So below the knee on each leg and from a health condition. And he said, if he's very active, super on top of his health and motivated, and he said, I love my prostheses. Like, I love the legs that I use. And the only problems I've ever had have been with the socket. And I was like, okay, if you are having issues, mm-hmm. then it's clear. So there's just been, and there's been countless moments like that, but those were the two that really stood out to me. They're um, really bookmarking our experience, yeah, right? Like, you really are. Or bookending it. Exactly. That's cool. I, I love that it was, you each had your own unique journey and process to decide on how to jump in. And I think there's so many learnings from each of you in terms of like it being the right person and fit to go do this with, the conviction around it, the need for buy-in from family and support from family or those closest to you that will be impacted by this decision. So I'm glad you're both here. It sounds like there's a lot of things that continue to come up that inspire you to keep going. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about the it. Let's talk about Vessel. We're on a show called Pitch, please. You can do it together. You can do it independently. I don't know how you want to do it, but your pitch, please. Absolutely. I think I'll do the spiel. That's my, it's one of my jobs, actually. So every 30 seconds, a leg is amputated around the world. And yet there is still no good solution for what they call poor socket fit. So an amputee's leg will actually change size throughout the day and in the long term inside of a socket that does not. So just like when you wear the wrong size pair of shoes, a poor fitting socket causes blisters. And so lots of amputees will just stop using it altogether. And that's why we developed what we're coining the isoform socket. And it automatically adjusts as the leg changes size to avoid those high pressures that lead to blisters. So we're reimagining what comfort means for people with leg amputations. I love it. And I'm, I'm like, I think we're going to have to do a great job because 
definitely there's like some visual elements to this. And so we're going to we're going to do some description through that. But maybe let's just first start on like how you arrived at the name Vessel. And then I want to learn about like the industry, the people, all of that type of stuff. But let, let's start with the name. The name's the easiest one to probably figure out, or maybe it was the hardest. How did you arrive at the name Vessel? This was not, I, disclaimer, this is part of the creativity process that is not my forte. So this was all Alexi. And it's fantastic. I like obviously love it. We had a few different ideas for names, but we had some images of what we wanted it to represent. And we talked about it's, it had to be a, a company that represents the piece that will become a part of you. As an FPT, you want it to feel like it's like your original leg. You want to feel that it's at home. You want to feel like you can do all the things that you've always wanted to do. And you want to feel like it enables you to be person you've always wanted to be and all the things you've always wanted to do to go see your friends and family to do the activities you once used to do and just to have a great quality of life and so we were thinking about we were just uh, looking at the different terms for the placeholders for i remember one of our earlier ideas was like there's a special name for the podium that holds up the trophy and so we were looking at things that hold you up and elevate you and we came across a vessel because one of our early design iterations used some fluidics for pressure monitoring. And so vessel being something that you typically would put a fluid in and or something that would carry fluids like body vessels. But it also has a meaning of, which is actually the primary meaning of a vessel that carries you like a ship. So it's a vessel that carries you through your life's journey. That's how we arrived at it. And when we started looking at it, we thought this is actually fairly representative of the benefit that we want to bring to this population. And then to make it confusing for people who want to spell it and also set us apart, we spell it V-E-S-S-L. <laughs> so we sound Swedish or something. Yeah, else. yeah, exactly. I, I love it. And I love the, the like thought process, but you boiled it down in like 30 seconds. Was this like, hey, one night over cocktails, we came up with this brainstorm and we arrived here? Or was this like, how long did this take? Because and the reason I ask, naming, while it's, it seems like it should be simple, like mm -hmm. it takes a lot of time. Like it takes as much time as solving the problem. It is I'm more frustrating little... than solving the problem. It, it, yeah. In some ways, I'm just like, there's, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the frustrating thing with that. Because it's your brand, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The frustrating thing with that kind of decision is that once you make the decision, it really sticks and you have to stick by it because that's your image. That's what you're going with, right? Versus the iteration of the product design, you can be more fluid with because you're listening to the market, you're listening to the people that will use it, right? So it's continuously improving. So we actually, when we were in the fellowship and we were exploring this and we applied to a small uh, pitch competition, we applied as, we had to think of a name quick because we wanted to focus on iterating and not really, we didn't have a company, we weren't incorporated or anything like that. We just needed a name to represent ourselves. So we did about that 20 minutes, like sprint structure to think of some names and did anonymous voting with the team. And we called ourselves Limbrace. So it's called Limbrace. And then when we started thinking about starting the company. For, for what it's worth, Vessel's way better. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. Appreciate so there were a few issues with Limbrace. One that Limbrace was a company, there was a company, I think, out of the Philippines or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Something overseas that was called Limbrace that was coming up in Google searches first. And it's also the name of it is it's restrictive. It's people don't associate braces with something that's comfortable and something that really enables you. 
something that's a bit more just structural or visual, depending on the application. So we knew that we had to create a, a brand that people would associate with and people would understand that, yeah, this is the brand that I want to align with. And this is the brand that will help me get to the place that I want to be. But coming up with Vessel, I don't actually think it took us that long. It was a few days, maybe a week total. A week, yeah. Coming up with Isoform was a night. That took us weeks. Yeah. Or it but felt like it, it just was like little points. Yeah. I think we do a great job in making sure that we use our time really well. And so <laughs> yeah. these, are the kind of, these are the kinds of things where we would like table it and let, let it simmer for a little bit. Yeah. But we wanted yeah. to make sure that we made the right decision, which I think we did with we these did. things. We did. Yeah, we weren't spending twenty four seven working on names. We we were building a product. <laughs> it, you know what? It's fine though. It's to your point. It's like there's a permanence yeah. to it, and it it has you have to be inspired to say it and talk about it every day. And so it feels like you you got there. Now I know not much, if not anything at all, about this industry, and maybe people that are listening aren't. So let's draw them in with some facts, some stats, understanding the market. Help me understand this space a little bit, and then we'll try to talk through what the product is and how it looks and how it works uh, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. So there are 50 million APTs worldwide and within the United States, which is the first market that we're starting with, and we can talk about why Canadian companies starting in the U.S., there's 2 million APTs and not about 50% of them really are eligible for prosthetic socket. There's a lot of issues around that and around prosthesis use. And there's 185,000 new amputations every year. So this population is not going away and the problem is not going away and it's only increasing. Diabetes is on the up. Aging populations are on the up. All of these things are increasing. And with the war efforts that are going on and just different things like that, there's always room to be iterating in this space. And there, it's a classically underserved population. That's to give you a flavor of, of the overall market. And then just to give you a, an idea of how APTs, like what are they doing right now about this problem? So their leg will, as I said, change size. You can think of if you're walking around and your legs they swell up if it's really hot or you're walking around and there's fluid moving out of your leg, a leg will actually... Like wearing a watch, right? Like when you put a watch on, it's super comfortable or like you're a ring your belt. and then you go outside and it's a little warm or you're working out or you ate like salty foods, it gets tight and uncomfortable. I, I So I'm trying to like imagine that, but for a limb, and I guess it's a similar problem where like if it's too loose and starts falling off or you don't feel... I guess, like stable, I guess, would be a piece of it. Is that sort of like the similar thinking? Exactly like that. So a day in the life of the amputee, let's say they ate some pizza the night before because who doesn't love good pizza and all the sodium that goes into a pizza. So they wake up the next morning and their leg is swollen from all the sodium. And from lying down flat, a lot of fluid will pool in the bottom of what they call their residuum, which is just their, the leg that had been amputated. And so now they're all swollen. They get up. They can't even fit their leg into the socket to begin with, which is extremely frustrating. So now you get in your rail chair, you make your coffee, and now some fluid has moved out of your leg and you're up and you're at least moving a little bit. So some fluid moves out and, and you can now fit it into the prosthesis. Great. Now you walk around, you drive to work, but because you're up and moving now and the fluid is moving around your body, just like blood moves around your body, so do other fluids. Well, now your leg has shrunk again. So now you're wiggling around inside of that socket. So go walk in a mall for two hours in shoes that are too big. And you tell me what your feet look like at the end of that. 
um, and a, an amputee's residuum would look the same. They can get blisters and things like that is what I mean. And so what you have to do is you take the leg off, the prosthetic leg off, and you put on a sock and then you put the leg back on. If you bought shoes that were too big and you took them off and you just layered some socks on to make your feet artificially bigger, that is how amputees are currently solving. And they have to be cognitively aware. So they have to know, okay, I should add a sock or I should not add a sock based on where I'm feeling pressure in my leg. So they also need to be able to feel the pressure in their leg, which some of them can't. They have to have the dexterity to make those adjustments. They have to have the foresight to bring socks with them in a purse or a backpack or a something, keep them in their car, bring them on their walks. So you can see how this spirals out of control and is just an extremely inconvenient way to manage what we call limb volume yeah. changes. That solution really sucks. <laughs> it, it, it does really yeah. suck. And so the first patient that we that, talked that's to- That's like a, a joke you would have made. Yeah. Really sucks. They're really Yeah. Like Look. all other solutions. Suck. Yeah, they do. That's going to be your tagline. We should make that a tagline. We're stealing that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll give you credit though, Mike. We'll give you it's all yours. Oh, it's all you. yours. So the first patient that we talked with was getting up in the morning, putting his socket on. He works on his feet. In fact, he would drive to work. And by the time that he wasn't even walking to work, he was driving to work. By the time that he got to work, he already had to layer a couple socks onto his leg. Like take the socket off, put them on, get them on his leg, and then go to work. And that's just the first hour of the day. And they're doing this throughout the day. If you're wearing pants and you can't access it, it's a multitude of problems. It's really, um, it was really this big point of just like puzzlement for us when we came across this. Uh, why hasn't anyone really seriously iterated in this space, knowing that all these people are complaining about it? And the problem is that many have tried, but they have avoided some key points of what makes a business successful in a market like this. And some of them have approached it from a pure kind of research perspective and gone from there and avoided the business perspective. And so they weren't able to commercialize properly. Or others have gone at it from a tech perspective and made something that is over-engineered that can hit the market and the margins are there, no one can afford it. Or it's just, they don't understand the patients very well, that the patients need something that is that you click it and it works. They don't need an app for it. They don't need 20 controls. They just need something that is preset that works and adjusts. And that's the approach that we went at it with. We want, we want this to be something that uh, is the fundamental pressure points are set by the processes. So they're still intimately involved. But when the patient is using it, it's just one button on off a scenario where they get, where it gets pressurized from their walking patterns when they're walking throughout the day. But it's not a bionic system, so it doesn't use uh, any microchips. It doesn't use sensors. And so because of that, it's still very affordable and it's still reimbursable by major public insurance plans. And so we wanted to make sure that this accomplishes the functional goals. And at the same time, it can appeal to the mass market where people can really get their hands on this. These are a combination of points that no one has tried to hit together. I love it. Now, one quick clarifying question, because, you know, you keep mentioning sort of the leg limb. 
is your product specifically for amputees with a leg, limb need, or is it for any type of amputee? Right now, we're focused on leg amputees. Just based on the way that our product works, it really relies on that standing and walking motion to redistribute pressure around the leg and to allow for that expansion and contraction. So we are focused on leg amputees. Right now, we're focused on folks with below-the-knee amputations. There's more of them, so it makes it a good place to start. And they feel this problem really acutely because your shin bone is like right at the front of your skin. So you can imagine that rubbing inside a plastic bucket would really not feel so good. So focusing on them first, then moving to above the knee and then pediatric specific as well. And then we have all kinds of other ideas for different products too. But yeah, definitely focused on leg right now. Got it. Did, did you have something to add to that, Alexa? Yeah. So I wanted to also say the company itself, we have right now a really big three-stage vision for the company. And all these things that Sydney has mentioned is just the first phase. And so uh, we can see really acutely how a vertical integration within this space can really drive um, the right kind of care to people's homes and then onto people's limbs. And so we do see a really big vision ahead for the company it goes beyond just that automated socket. Got it. No, I, I totally appreciate that. And you have to start somewhere. One of the earlier podcasts I was recording today, actually, it was just like, here's where they'd like to be. And there's the reality of where you need to start. You need to start in an area that's deeply embraced and you get really good at it. And then you can expand. If you try to solve all the problems at once, you'll likely fail or at least struggle in some regard. Now, one of the things that I'd love to, to try to do, I know it'll be maybe challenging, so you can use for the video edition, you can use like some hands and some interpretive dance, but maybe if you can try to describe for anyone that's just listening as well, how Vessel actually works and you know how you're solving this problem. On our legs, we have, if you think of the circumference of the skin around your leg, especially below the knee, you'll have parts of the leg that have parts of the bone that are sitting underneath the skin. And then there's more muscular parts. You will, if you were going to take all of your weight and put it on the skin, that's actually not made to, for you to put all of your weight on it. You have to distribute the pressure as equally as possible along the areas that can take the pressure. So those muscular regions. And you still want to have surface contact with where some of those bony prominences are. However, you don't want them taking a lot of the weight because the skin will wear down. That's where the skin can be a little bit thinner and you will get blistering and have a lot of issues. And so you have to have this really unique balance of those things. And so what we have are these panels that are essentially moving in and out and the way that they move in and out is based on a pressure is um, set by the prosthetist, which is essentially the maximum amount of pressure that the panels should be applying based on research that's out there onto the skin itself. And so that pressure needs to be redistributed based on how much swelling and shrinking the muscle, the muscles have. Now the muscles will shrink and swell non-uniformly. So some of them have a bit more vasculature, some of them are a little bit bigger. And so the panels need to adjust independently and, and apply a little bit of that pressure until a set limit. Now, that energy has to come from somewhere to apply that pressure. And so what we have is we have this module that sits at the bottom of the socket that slowly gathers energy from the steps. And this module is using some clever mechanics to gather energy 
at the heel strike point. So when a person is walking and they're first having their heel strike and pressing onto the ground and taking little bits of energy every time that they step, but not so much that it's like a cushion step. We don't want them to feel like their steps are assisted or augmented in any way. Or like you're stepping on a trampoline, like you don't want yeah you're not stepping on a big spring it's just very small amounts of energy that are slowly gathering throughout the and they're accumulating in these panels and the big thing here is that part is fairly straightforward to do the big part here that is really important to have is to make sure they don't apply too much pressure onto the skin and so we have these ways of limiting how much they're compressing and how much they're releasing based on the size of the limb itself and this is done through so Got it. So if it were like a cup with 10 different sides that make up the circle, basically you're saying that there's energy that gets created in a mechanical mm-hmm. way. And that energy gets released where basically different sides of the cup can come in a little bit and create that pressure, but as needed. So it, it's a little bit modular yeah. in that way. I'm trying to imagine. Yeah. 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 And if you um, want to imagine it on your leg as well, you can think right now and you can the prosthetist almost like actually yeah 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 exactly and the prosthetist can choose you know where they want the panels or how big the panels should be and things like that but you can think of kind of two panels on either side of your shin bone at the front and then one bigger panel at the back at your calf muscle and those are going to move at different rates amazing and is it for below the knee amputations or above the knee amputations below the knee for right now and then we'll move above and another got important it, thing to it. mention as well is that this is not just some off-the-shelf bucket that is adjusting to your limb. These panels and these interfaces that are actually facing the skin are still custom molded. So there's a few different ways that we can go about this. There's traditional casting and carbon fiber lamination to create the perfect shape and then just have them be cut so that they are adjustable and moving or 3D printed at a central fabrication facility that so that they're, it's perfectly molded from a 3D scan of the limb. So that I think is a really important piece for people to understand is that this is not just some thing in a box that you buy and then it's just going to adjust to your limb. It's molded to your limb and then it also is able to move up and down, 15% up, 15% down in terms of volume accommodations. So that every amputee is different. Their suture lines will be slightly different. Their anatomy might be a little bit different. Their shapes and sizes and activity levels are a little bit different. Some of uh, amputees are, come from trauma. And so the anatomy will be a little bit different. And that's where that custom fit is still very important, even for an adjustable socket. It's a good maybe segue as you talk about this custom fit and the way you approach the problem. Because before you talked about the two polar opposites, like theoretical and research-based, but avoiding commercialization. And then the other side of the spectrum where there was like over-engineering is what we'll call it. How much does Vessel cost if you're able to share or if you're not, like where that is relative to the market today? Because you did mention the fact that you're solving a problem and you're making it affordable. So I'd love to understand like where that sits. Is it about the same price, 10% more? You can give pricing and details. I I don't know this space well, but whatever you're able to share. Absolutely. So we are um, actually discussing our pricing strategy now. So because we're still in the product development phase, we're not selling the socket yet. We're aiming to be selling by the end of 2024. And so it's certainly top of mind for us right now. The reimbursement for a socket is about $4,000. And prosthetists like to keep the costs of the socket itself to be around $1,200. 
So there's some room for us to play with that. Some of the obviously key components of that are going to be compassion-based pricing. So for folks that aren't able to afford a prosthetic socket or aren't able to afford one that's high tech, how can we compensate for that? And then making sure that our early adopters also get a discount on our device. That's another thing that we're thinking of. And then signaling to the market that we are a high-tech device and we are not high-tech in the electronics mm-hmm. definition, but high-tech in the way that automatically Innovative. Definitely. Exactly. Innovative. We need to make sure when we're developing our price that we keep all of those factors in mind. And there are also Got these it. underlying features that are providing value. We essentially have these two different value streams. One is the value that we've been talking about, that the value for the PT themselves. But we also have an enormous value that we're bringing to the prosthetists themselves. So about 60% of their appointments the prosthetists have are for sockets, socket readjustments because they don't fit properly sometime down the road. And so that is a problematic for the APT because it's a disruptive to, a disruptive to their life and they potentially are developing all these blisters and so forth. For prosthetists, it's problematic because they don't get reimbursed very well for those kinds of appointments. So they get to build these initial prescriptions and treatments of, of their devices, but when they come back and they need things remolded and they need to figure out exactly where it's rubbing or where they've now developed room because they've healed a little bit and now they're pistoning up and down inside the socket, it's actually not really worth their time, but they're doing it because they have patients and they're responsible for them. They have to take care of them, but they're losing money. They're losing money that they're using to run the clinics, to provide that service. They have a business to run. So our value proposition is to reduce those kinds of appointments that where they're not, where they're essentially losing money and providing better care for the patients at the same time. I love it. Now, earlier you talked in the episode about your focus being on the U.S. market. You're both Canadian. Yes. It's fine. I actually want to talk about this. It's funny. John Ruffalo does not care who I am, but he posted something about this the other day and I commented on it. And I was just like, hey, I talked to a bunch of startups. I work in here. And there's some interesting things I'm noticing about Canadians who sometimes have the desire, despite all odds, to still stay in Canada, seeing market traction here in Canada. Also, I have, through my own experiences, learned there is amazing support for research in Canada. However, there's some challenges on funding and support to ever move out of research into commercialization. And so maybe those are two themes. Maybe it's something else. I would love your perspective on this and why you're making the decision that you're making around tackling the U.S. market first, especially in the healthcare space, because I think that area there's more profound gaps in the commercialization bit versus research bit. But I want to hear your perspective and your thoughts. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And we've certainly seen both of those issues. There is less funding and it's a little bit more risk averse in Canada versus the U.S. So that's it's an obvious one. And then... And hold on, I don't want to interrupt too much, but I, because it's funny, because that was how the John Ruffalo post yeah. went. And it wasn't risk averse necessarily from the people or the founders, mm-hmm. I don't think. His point was, because I was like, yeah, it seems like Canadian entities are risk averse in how they decide to use their money on built in Canada. They want to see it proven somewhere else first. So it's the adoption that's risk averse, not the people. No, no. People are like, the people are, are risk takers and bold. 
but the way they we deploy funds from Canadian entities procuring innovation procuring, seems to be where the gap Procuring is. innovation or supporting innovation. So angel investors, VC groups, there are great ones coming out of Canada. There are great people in Canada who are investors. But the fact remains that the people in the U.S. are just more able to take riskier deals. So you see earlier stage companies being supported a little bit more in the United States. But for us, as you mentioned, with healthcare, there's kind of two pieces to that pie as well, or to that puzzle, however you want to say it. The first being reimbursement. So we all think, oh, Canada has free healthcare. That's great. And it is. And I love that. But each province has a different way of supporting amputees. And I'll speak to Ontario since that's where we live. They have the assistive devices program. And it will reimburse up to 75% of a prosthetic socket or a prosthetic leg. And the problem with that is that it's only for basic devices. So people who want an adjustable socket or a swimming leg or a running blade or all these other fancy quote unquote devices, but really devices that are for the better quality of life and the better health of the APT, they don't get it. And so it is really hard to pay for tens of thousands of dollars worth of prosthetic devices out of pocket. So you just don't have as much of a market in that way. Whereas in the United States, there are certain CPT codes that you can step to reimburse a prosthetic device, even an adjustable one. So we have more ability for reimbursement there. And then on the other even side, though, just so that, like a little that, bit even of a better path. Public insurance, Medicare, Medicaid, yep. not necessarily like fancy private insurance that someone would have with certain jobs or certain careers. This is insurance plans that are available to most of the U.S. market that are able to cover these quite well. Yeah, so just adopt path to adoption and funding and procurement of the device from the individual is a little bit more simple. Exactly. It's more favorite. And straightforward and repeatable in the US versus Canada. It is. And then the um, other factor is just population size. So Canada is just much smaller mm-hmm. than the US. Mm-hmm. Got it. Are you going to be keeping your HQ here? That's what we're hoping to do. That's the plan. Mm-hmm. Got it. So maybe let's talk about, we've talked about the product. We've talked about the problem you're solving. You're on the cusp of starting to price this out where you're at, you've moved into commercialization and people are able to buy this. What is sort of like the next six to 12 months have in store for Vessel? Only 500 different things. But one of the really exciting updates is I'll actually be moving to Texas for three months from September to December because we got accepted into the Techstars, the Fort Worth Physical Health Accelerator. And so we are extremely excited. That comes with some investment. That comes with an incredible amount of mentorship and guidance and work, like workshops and, and different things like that. So we're really excited. We've got some key customers that we'd like to target whose headquarters are in Texas, which is one of the reasons we wanted to go down there and some other really amazing strategic partners. So um, I'm really excited to see what we can execute just by being in the right place at the right time. First of all, congrats. It sounds like at least the next three months are going to be super busy and super yeah. exciting and pivotal in the the next steps, no pun intended, <laughs> of your journey. But I love what's what's in store for you. As part of that, are there things that people that are either wanting to follow along with your story, help and support, connect someone that might be in need of a product like Vessel, where should they be going or what are the types of support you're looking for? I guess if you could answer both of those, anyone that wants to find out more or follow the journey. And then if, if people want to support, what type of support 
could you use right now? And, and what are you looking for over the next kind of six to 12 months? Absolutely. Anyone with a, a prosthetic background, it, whether that's business related or not, we would love to get your insights. So prosthetists, EPTs, people who've owned prosthetic clinics before or prosthetic device companies, we'd really love to hear from you. And you can reach out in numerous ways, but our website is always a good bet. It's um, vesselpro.com. Or you can find us on LinkedIn. We're fairly active there. And then you can also reach out to us via email. So that's either sydney at vesselpro.com or alexi at vesselpro.com. Also have vessel.ca. So for all the Canadians, you've got a Canadian website, vessel.ca, that you can hit up. Absolutely. But yeah, we'd love to hear from everyone. In terms of the kind of support, we just really want insights, um, opinions. We'd love to hear your story if you're an amputee or a prosthetist and, and your relation to this issue. And then, of course, we're always looking for investors. So people who we can bring in early and have those conversations with so that we can really start developing those relationships. I love it. So we'll make sure all of that's in the show notes and the description so people can find it easy. I love the work you're doing. It sounds like you're at such a pivotal moment in the journey. You've both come and grown and invested so much time and energy in solving this very significant problem. So thank you for coming on the show to share it today. I'd love to even do like a regroup maybe six months from now to check in because it seems like there's a massive tide of change that's going to happen over the next six months. So I'd love to, to welcome you back. But thank you, Alexia and Sydney, for coming to the show today. Thank you, everybody who tuned in. I know we don't talk a lot about products. There's a lot of software. So today's product discussion was super interesting, especially us describing it for anyone that wasn't able to kind of watch the video or even on the video since we didn't physically have the product. But thanks again for tuning in to the Pitch Please podcast. Looking forward to catching you all on the next episode. Sydney, Alexi, thank you again for joining today. Thank you so much, Mike. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to the Pitch Please Podcast. Pitch Please. Pitch Please. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Tune in for regular episodes and show notes at pitchplease.ca. And make sure to give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform. Pitch Please, a Bluemex podcast, is hosted by Michael Thibodeau and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Pitch Please content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.